On Palm Sunday, some of you never knew that Amos was so exciting. Some of you have never read Amos. Uh, Tracy and I were in Washington uh, for a Operation Christmas shoebox um, conference. Uh, okay, I've corrected. Operation Christmas Child conference uh, with Samaritan's Purse. And we ended up taking a walk around to see the cherry blossoms that are almost out. Uh, and uh, I got to see the, the, the big monument there for Martin Luther King Jr. And when you look at him... Uh, It has some interesting quotes that they have out there, and some of them have some biblical references. And it was interesting to realize that that one of the uh, most powerful speeches that he gave, I Have a Dream, uh, was driven right out of Amos chapter 5. Let justice flow. Now, the interesting thing is that Amos is an interesting book, and it's not something that you need to yawn at. It's not something you need to fall asleep at. It's actually something that is very applicable as this individual is a preacher, God called him, to speak to people who, who had a heritage that, that was Christian, or they had a heritage of the, as being a part of the people of God. But their heritage had been forgotten, they had new leadership that led them in different directions, and as a result, the current culture was not affable to the worship of the living and true God. They didn't give up on spirituality, they had spirituality, but they didn't worship the living and true God. They disked, they disked the uh, Ten Commandments. They uh, didn't even make them ten suggestions. They just went on and ignored them. Now, do you relate to that at all? Does that sound familiar? The question is, I'm hoping that you're not a party to that same kind of mentality. If you're here at church today, it may be that, that God is stirring your soul. And that's the message that Amos gives, to stir people's souls to be able to get it right. Let's reverently attend to the public reading of God's inerrant, inspired, infallible word. I'm only going to be tackling chapter 9. We're going to look at some of the first verses there because it'll help us get ready for communion. But actually, the, uh, the portion of scripture that I'm going to be touching on Uh, has to start from chapter 7. So if you have your Bibles, you'll be hearing me referencing these things. uh, Because if you look, Amos finishes in chapter 9. So on Resurrection Sunday, we're going to finish with a message of hope. And it's right in there. It's not something I have to look for. It's right there. So next week, we'll end on Resurrection Sunday, the message that Amos gave, a high point. And I pray that you won't miss it. Bring people to church with you. But let's reverently attend to the public reading of God's inspired and fallible word as, as it was given in the original. Chapter 9, beginning at verse 1. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. And he said, strike the capitals until the thresholds shake and shatter them on the heads of all the people. And those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. Pastor, why do you have to pick a passage like this on Palm Sunday? Everybody wants to feel good. This is what the Lord told the preacher to preach. Verse 2. If those people dig into Sheol, from from there shall my hand take them. If... They climb up to heaven, from there I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Mount Carmel, from there I will search them out and I will take them. And if they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good." 
The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts and all who dwell in it mourn and all of its rises like the Nile and sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens and founds his vaults upon the earth, who calls for the waters of the sea and pours them out on the surface of the earth. The Lord is his name. Oh, Lord, I pray that you will encourage us rather than discourage us. I pray that we might realize That in the message of justice, we find the foundations for mercy and that beautiful thing called grace. For grace is extended to us not because we deserve anything, but because of that amazing love. How could it be? Oh, Lord, I pray that you might show us that great love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. What could be better on a Palm Sunday than to borrow from another preacher? I don't think you've heard this individual, but you might have heard uh, one of the people that, was, that, uh, that made reference to the sermon. Dr. Tony Campolo once got up and he preached a long message of 45 minutes or so. And uh, he thought he did a great job. And he comes down and sits down. It was, was kind of like it must have been a marathon church service. And uh, he sits down and uh, apparently the guy next to him, he says, top that. Tony patted him on the knee and simply said to the other gentleman who was older, Top that! That's obviously not good preacher talk, but that's what he did. The other man was a black pastor who looked at him and said, Boy, watch the master. (laughs) Then Tony Campolo says that he uh, remembers this brilliant message that followed. And it starts a little bit like this, and I hope that you'll catch on, and you're welcome to join in with me. It was a simple sermon, and I've kind of summarized it for us for the introduction today. It's Friday. Jesus is arrested in the garden where he was praying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are hiding, and Peter's denying that he even knows the Lord. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is standing before the high priest of Israel, silent as a lamb before the slaughter. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is beaten, mocked, and spit upon. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Those Roman soldiers are flogging our Lord with a leather scourge, and that has bits of bone and glass and metal tearing his flesh. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The Son of Man stands firm as they press the crown of thorns down onto his brow. But Sunday's coming. He stumbles. But it's Friday. We see Jesus on his way to Calvary. The blood now dripping. See the crown crashing down on it, or the, the cross crashing down on his back as he stumbles beneath the load. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. See those Roman soldiers driving the nails into his feet and hands of my Lord. And hear my Jesus cry, Father, forgive them. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross, bloody and dying. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The dark sky gets darker. The earth begins to tremble. 
And he who knew no sin became sin for us. Holy God, who was not able to abide with sin, pours out his wrath on that perfect sacrificial lamb who simply cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What a horrible cry. But Sunday's coming. It's Friday. At the moment of Jesus' death, the veil of the temple that separates sinful men from the holy God was torn from the top to the bottom. Because Sunday's coming. It's Friday. Jesus is still hanging on the cross. Heaven is weeping. Hell is partying. And that's because it's Friday and they don't know that Sunday's coming. But it's Sunday, and Friday's still coming for us. The message today is focused on what's coming on Friday. We're at Palm Sunday. Today I want to remind you, with Amos' help, that Friday's coming. It's Sunday, but Friday's coming. This Passion Week is filled with a lot of different things. But I pray that as you look at your schedule, you won't just get caught up with the busyness but that you will see what the greatest moment of all time was. It was Friday when he paid for our sins. Amos says in chapter 1 that the Lion of God roared his warning. Rather, he said that, that wrath was approaching. You can see the lion standing up to roar. He quotes it twice. The people of God were in no better shape than the people around them. The revelation of God's wrath was coming. You can see that in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. Amos then goes on to tell us that he declares war on the rebels. Those who are not on God's side, those who have rejected, those who are not being obedient, who are not keeping the covenant. With the end of chapter 6, the time of patience is drawing near. The lion is no longer just roaring. The lion is about to pounce. The trap was snapping closed. The question that some of us would say is, is the Lord giving up on his covenant? Is God through with people who are stiff-necked? Is he through with people who don't take him seriously? That's the question that is raised And the answer to that question comes in chapter 7, 8, and 9. And we're not going to spend a lot of detail, but I'm giving you some devotional material. Read chapter 7, 8, and 9. What you're going to find in those three chapters are five particular visions that seem to come back to back to back. It's almost like God gave him this special sermon that had five different points. They're all kind of weaved together, except there's a little narrative in the middle of showing how Amos was put down and disrespected. The priest up there in that area of Bethel said, shut up. We don't like the way you preach. You only have bad things to say about us. Go back home to Judah. Be be gone. Away with you. And that's really that portion in the middle of Scripture. But the five visions are interesting, and the sequence comes to help us to get ready for the Lord's table today. The five visions, let me just tell you what they are very quickly, and then you'll be able to follow through. The first one is found on verses 1 through 3. If you have your Bibles open, you can often see it. The key word is locusts. 
He got to see the locusts, the vision of the locusts. The next one is found in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 7. The vision of the fire. If you look at the next one, it's the vision of the plumb line. It's the one I started off with. The vision of the plumb line, which is a little bit bigger, verses 7 through 9. And then after all that dialogue and the narrative, he comes back and he gives the vision of the summer fruit. Chapter 8, verses 1 through 14. And then you drop down to chapter 9, where we read today, and it was the vision of the altar. Or some might say, of the stricken doorposts. Now, what in the world is the preacher man talking about? I mean, you guys have been to church many a times, right? Sometimes you've left and you said, did he, what did he say? I imagine some churches you go to, they really don't say anything. So when you ask, what did they say? Nothing fits. But if you're coming here, I want to expose to you what's the word of God. Expository preaching, the root word of that is exposed. I want to unpack what's in that suitcase that God gave us. He packed it. It's for you and I to to use. It's for our journey. We're in the journey right now. And so what is these five visions all about? So quickly, let's look at them so you can see what they are. And uh, I want to get to the last one, of course, as you can tell. The first one is the vision of the locusts. He is preparing a vast locust plague. God is preparing a little army of critters, and they're going to come, and they're going to bring about the devastation that is deserved. It's called justice. I don't know about you, but when I've seen an anthill, and in Florida we had some in our yard, and if you used to bump one of those things, those guys came out, I don't know how fast they could move, but they seemed to be on your leg before you even looked. And they had a nasty bite. I'm just thinking, if you had a swarm of those, and they were coming and taking over. But here he's talking about the swarm of locusts. This vast plague was going to come in and it was going to destroy all of the crops. And of course, what would that do to the people of the northern kingdom? It would make them hungry. Make them angry. Make them frustrated. It would make life like a living hell. But Amos intervenes. If you read there in verses 2 and 3, he prays. He says, God, don't do it. And then the next vision comes up. Verses 4 through 6. The vision there is a fire. I don't know about any of you all. I don't see any major fire burns on anybody's face. But I remember once burning some hair off. That was not the cause for all of it. But I'll tell you that when you see fire and it comes close to you, it's a terrible, terrible thing. You ever been to the hospital to the burn units? But he's talking about a great fire that will devour the land. Something that will just come in and just destroy it like a forest fire, but even worse. But if you look at verses 5 through 6, again, the prophet prays and justice is averted. You see, during these, these visions, you can feel like it's Sunday, but Friday's coming. Yes, we're here right now, but we can see the judgment is coming. It's coming. It's coming. The third vision is that of the plumb line. In verse 7, Amos sees God measuring the spiritual straightness of Israel. He holds up something that is straight, and he compares it to the people's lives. And guess what happens? They're offline. If God holds up his perfect standard of holiness next to you, where do you, how do you measure up? Are you straight? There's no pun in that, meant intended. Are you walking with God? 
when you think about this, this judgment, this is pretty serious. It's Sunday. You know, we're here on Palm Sunday. We know that Friday's coming. Amos knows that, that Friday's coming. The wrath of God is going to be poured out. And he's telling them, look, there's a measurement. Do you see why it's going to be poured out? Because there's sin in your life. You're crooked. You don't have your act together in relation to God's perfect, perfect standard. The result is moral crookedness. Divine judgment was going to come to correct that. Now, in chapter 8, I'm speeding through, but I want you to be able to see there is this vision of the summer fruit. Now, of course, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, it's like taking some fruit and leaving it outside for a few days, maybe for a week or two. You know, you have apples and you have some of those other things. What happens to the fruit? It, it starts to begin the, the, all the bugs coming, right? <laughs> the swarm about to happen. Actually, the fruit begins to decay. It's not going to stay edible. It stinks. It's rotten. And those are the images that he starts to portray. And if you read chapter 8, those first verses, you're going to discover how it's very, very simple, uh, similar to, to the people of Israel. They were pictured of a basket of ripe fruit. The ripeness was saying that God is saying, away with this basket. Away with it. Israel is sick with sin. Listen to some of their sins that he delineates for us in chapter four or chapter eight, verses four through six. The rich are robbing and enslaving the poor. They're buying and selling a people for a pair of sandals. The needy in the land are being trampled on, verse four B. There is gross dishonesty, and people can recognize it. It's almost like what I said in Sunday school this morning where I was meeting a, a total stranger and we were talking about politics and uh, I was just trying to gauge where this guy was coming from about my age and he started to delineate against the, about the top three candidates, about uh, Trump, about Hillary, and about, um, about Cruz. And as he went through, he, he defined them and it was very, very interesting. Here's just a regular guy and he said, well, Hillary's a liar and he said that Trump, he is bombastic and he said that Cruz is disgusting. So I said, why is he disgusting? And I was trying to unpack. What's the motivation in all this? But he says, I'm going to vote for Hillary anyway because all politicians are liars. And that was his explanation. I wanted to have something to measure, a standard of what matters. You know, righteousness matters. But it starts with us. Judgment begins in the household of God. Before you start picking on any other candidates, you ought to be able to look at your own life. And that's what they're doing there as they're looking at the summer fruit, as they're seeing the things unfold. It's pretty tough. And the suffering that's going to be on the horizon. Now, going to the last one. The vision of the altar. The vision of the stricken doorposts. It's Sunday, and that Friday judgment is coming. And you can hear him talk about it. If you have your Bibles open, you can see it so clearly. He says, I saw the Lord standing. Okay, he's not sitting, he's standing. He's right there by the altar. And where is the altar? It's going to be at the place where you would come to meet him. Because holy people, can't, uh, holy people have access to God, but unholy people have to come by way of a mediator. You have to come by having somebody pay the price for you so that you can be considered holy to be able to come. And so God is pictured here in this vision of standing by the altar and, and nobody has access because they're unclean. They've already gone through the, the failure of the measuring stick of the, of the 
of the plumb line. There God is standing. The judgment now is uttered. Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake. Shatter them on the heads of the people. He's basically saying the doorways, they're coming down. This whole edifice that's been built, it's coming down. It's coming down. God's wrath is coming on Friday. When I looked at that, it was very sobering to realize what is being spoken of here. I'm not getting into all the details, but we have the Lord's table in front of us. And I've already tried to mention in previous sermons that Amos did have a little bit of the Bible. He didn't have any of Jesus' words because they would come about 760 years later, almost 800 years later. He didn't have all those New Testament passages that we can quote. So what passages did he have? He had the Old Testament. He had the stuff that preceded him. He had the stories of Moses. And so when he tells us about some of the instructions, when he's giving expository preaching, he's going back and hearkening to things that Moses has revealed in the book of Exodus. And if you want to think about it, have you ever heard of a plague of of little critters coming? Have you ever heard of some of this fire that comes down? I mean, do you see some of the parallels? It's almost like he's been dwelling on these passages from Exodus 20, where God is going to, to have a strong hand to pull his people out of bondage. And, and, he, and God gives him these fresh visions, and he talks to the people up north, and he says, same God, same God. I'm praying that he'll have mercy on you, but Friday's coming. Friday's coming. You see what's unfolding. But this last vision, why the doorposts? It keeps taking me back to the 10th plague where God told the people that I'm coming in my wrath. Friday's coming. It's called Passover. Are you ready? And he told the people of God, I'm coming ready or not. I'm coming. That Friday was coming. But he said, I got some hope for you. If I see the blood, I will pass over you. My judgment will pass over you. And it's not that he says, oh, I'm going to forget being holy. No. In order for the judgment to pass over you, the judgment had to first fall somewhere else. But instead of falling on you, it fell on what? The lamb. Do you see? When he brings out in chapter 9, this is all coming down. The doorposts, the things that held up the house that you thought you were secure in, it's all coming down because it can't stand in the day of wrath. It can't stand on Friday. The wrath of God is going to be poured out. I'm going to tell you, Sunday is coming, the next Sunday. But don't skip the beauty of what happened on this Friday. On Good Friday. Because Amos didn't get to articulate it as clearly as we do. Jesus said, I'll take that wrath on Friday. I'll take it all. Are you trusting in him? This is the essence of Palm Sunday. Are you the ones that were fair-weathered Christians? Hosanna, Hosanna, crucify him. 
are you one that says, oh, you are the Savior. Truly, you are the Son of God. Friday is coming. Technically for us, it already came. Do you see the gospel of Jesus Christ? Oh, Lord, I pray today as we prepare for communion that you would save souls. Lord, last night there were 250 or so people over in the gym just up the road from us. And the appeal went out the same. Do you know this Jesus? Not just if you know about him, do you know him? Because if you don't know this Jesus, the wrath of God on that Friday is coming for you. It's going to bring down your house. Oh, Lord, I thank you that the grace of Jesus tells us that he was going to step in our place. And he told us he was going to build a house that we could take shelter in. We would be a part of him, a part of his body, a part of the ecclesia, the called out ones from this world. We are members of the body of Christ. Oh, Lord, if there's someone here today that now understands the gospel, who can see that the Good Friday is where the gospel is climaxed. The love of God meets the holiness of God on Golgotha's hill. Lord, if we understand that message, help us to repent and to believe of it. Even today, to ask Jesus into our heart, Lord, forgive me. You've redeemed me. You've set me free. In Jesus' name, amen. The elders would come forward at this time. We're going to have communion. interesting. We've been having communion week after week after week. If you're the pastor, what passages would you like to do communion over? Old Testament or New Testament? It would seem like it would be easier to bring communion to the front. But did you see the Passover in Amos? Do you see the Lord's table? Now there's no more blood because Friday has come. This table is only for believers, only for Christians. If you're not a Christian, this is not for you. You don't have to be PCA. You may not even know what those letters stand for. You don't have to be any particular denomination, but you should be in good standing and numbered in the body of Christ. Are you? You should be. And what I mean by numbered with God's people is that you have made a profession of faith that you are resting and trusting in Christ alone for eternal life. If you haven't done that, then why would you take communion? It doesn't taste good. This is not about taste. This is about being identified. This is about being nourished in the body of Christ. Jesus gave this meal for Christians. Now, there also is one other caveat, he says in Matthew 5. If you come to the place, if you come to the altar, which we don't have an altar, but this is the closest to it. If you come to the place where you're going to meet with God, and there God's Holy Spirit causes you to remember something that says, something's not good. What does he tell you to do in Matthew 5? He says, get it fixed. Go to the person. Don't keep a long account. Seek the restoration. Present yourself for reconciliation. And that's what Paul says in Galatians 6. If you're spiritual, pursue this. Brothers and sisters, pursue it. If there's grudges you're holding, if there's things that you're hanging on to, if you're still like some of those people of the north that Amos was preaching to, and you still are leaning on your own understanding, and you don't have blood on your doorposts of your heart, this is not for you. This is for the forgiven people of God. So let me pray and set these things apart before we disperse them. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you that you 
have created the table for us. It's for believers. You, in fact, invited us to come and dine. And you told us that we would be nourished here. But you also gave us a warning. That we eat and drink damnation to ourselves. We, we are inviting the wrath of God if we don't discern the Lord's body. If we don't remember why he died. If we don't cling to the cross. If we don't trust in the Redeemer. Lord, and if we are leaning on our own understandings and continuing in sin in our daily lives, I pray that you will help us to turn away, to run from that. The word is repent. Oh, Lord, as David demonstrated for us in Psalm 51, he pleaded, Lord, don't let me keep doing these bad things I don't want to do. Create in me a clean heart. Renew that good spirit in me. Give me the joy that I know that is there in salvation when I'm at peace with my creator. Lord, I pray that you'll set apart these common things of the juice and the bread for the common use, from the common use to the sacred use, which is the very means that you nourish us to nourish our faith. Strengthen it as we partake. We don't have to touch the body of Christ. We don't even have to taste. But you give us these physical things to remind us of how real you are and how present you are with us. In Jesus' name I pray. On the night in which he was betrayed, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. He said, eat this in remembrance of me. Please hold the, or take, partake of the bread individually when you get it, showing your individual responsibility to be right with God.
after the same manner. He took the cup. I was just looking at this little bottle of wine, pondering what it would have been like to actually be there. When Jesus took the, the fruit of the vine and he said, this is my blood, that was the big change. He's at the Passover, the high point. Thousands of people in Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday that had come for the Passover. And there they are in that room on Mount Zion. And instead of the blood, instead of the animal having to die, this is the cup that he gives us. And a few hours later, he was going to drink the bitter cup. We receive this sweet cup, the sweet communion that we have. Please hold the cup until we all partake together.
It's Friday. Drink ye of it. Lord, we thank you for the sweetness of the communion that was secured for us on that Good Friday. You took the wrath, and we're forgiven. Oh, Lord, I thank you that you have given us a way to draw near to you. The the veil of the temple uh, blocking access was rent in two from top to bottom. You now say, come unto me, and you'll give us rest. Nourish us with this sweet communion. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand to your feet and let's sing a song of rejoicing.